0: This is an AMI podcast. My brother is probably going to kill me, or at least permanently disown me when I share this information. But at the same time, I think we're both mature adults now, so I'm fairly confident that we can work through this. Growing up, I had a stuffed teddy bear and his name was Tedums. My brother on the other hand, he had a blanket and he called him Bee. We dragged that bear and blanket with us everywhere and I will admit that we both probably slept with that bear and blanket just a bit too long. Tedums, he attended tea parties, was a student in my make pretend classroom and he often spent quite a bit of time riding around in my doll stroller. B on the other hand, he worked fantastic as a cape and was often part of a makeshift pretend tent that we were making. Teddums, he slept over at the hospital with me on several occasions. Somehow this simple white teddy bear managed to make an unfamiliar hospital room Safe enough even to sleep in. I will totally admit that I still have Tetems to this day. He's not as fluffy as he once was. His fur, it's fairly matted now. And his red scarf that he once came with, it's been missing for years. And he has now been passed along to my son. As for my brother's bee, well, I haven't seen him in years but I do recall that there really wasn't much left of him, but I am confident that my brother probably has him tucked away safely someplace. I'm Becky Czar, and this is The Blind Reality. Thinking back, all these memories, they make me smile. I don't know what it was that made Tatum's the one. I mean, I had all sorts of stuffed animals to pick from, and I really liked them too, but for some reason... Teddams, he was extra special. As a child, I had a knack, sort of a feeling that I would get that allowed me to easily identify special moments as they were actually happening, special people as they entered into my life and special memories that I knew not to let go. Two people that were once complete strangers earned a very special place in my heart. These two special people are my pediatric doctors. Dr. Ken Romanchuk, my pediatric ophthalmologist, and Dr. Alan Rosenberg, my pediatric rheumatologist. What made my pediatric doctors just so special? I honestly can't describe it all in words. Because regardless of what my age or aptitude was at any time, They always treated me like a person who was actually part of the team. They would ask me for my thoughts and made sure that if I had questions, they were answered. They always wanted to make sure that I was okay with the plan that they were putting forward. And not only did they do their job with insight, skill, and precision, but somehow they were able to couple that with humor, kindness, and compassion. Somehow they were able to make the scary moments feel safe the sad moments to be okay and the unpredictable future to be inviting most of the time they were able to do all of these things without speaking a single word but instead it was conveyed to me as a young child through their actions tone of voice and familiar smiles I will always remember When I was in the O.R. waiting to be put to sleep before a surgery, Dr. Romanchuk always went out of his way to come and have a conversation with me before the surgery got started. And I don't actually remember what those conversations consisted of, but what I do remember is seeing his familiar smiling eyes looking back at me. I could tell that he was smiling, even underneath of his surgical mask because I had seen his eyes squint the exact same way so many times in his office during a regular visit when his face was uncovered. His smiling eyes and familiar voice were all that I needed to reassure me before I closed my eyes and drifted off to sleep and let the surgery begin. As for Dr. Rosenberg, he always had a special way about him also. During several visits to him to have my swollen knees examined, I often ended up needing to get my knees aspirated. All that really means is, the inflammatory medications that I was on at that time weren't working as efficiently as we had all hoped. As a result, extra fluids would then collect around my knees, leaving me with restricted mobility, a little discomfort, but if left unattended, it would eventually cause damage to the internal structure around the knee. Sounds kind of gross, right? But Dr. Rosenberg would gently insert a needle and withdraw the unnecessary fluids. Sometimes he would do one knee and other times I'd get both knees done. I can still vividly remember, I was always put in the exact same treatment room to get the procedure done and I can still picture the dancing elephant wallpaper that bordered that room. The elephants had balloons tied to their trunks in a rotating pattern of red, yellow, green, and blue. It worked fabulous as a distraction technique and having my knees aspirated routinely really wasn't that bad for me. But I'm fairly confident that it likely hurt Dr. Rosenberg a whole lot more to have to do it to me. When I was little, I remember him always telling me that I was just so brave to have it done, but the reality is I now know that he was totally the brave one. Have you ever just got comfortable with something and suddenly it was time to switch and head in a total different direction? If you're like me at all, your mind might start getting a little creative at this point and trying to come up with various solutions to avoid this change. Luckily though, if you're like me also, your mind will eventually begin to realize that these subpar unrealistic options are likely not realistic at all. And that no matter what, this change, whether you like it or not, is coming towards you. This particular change that I'm referring to is the inevitable transition that occurs around the age of 18 or 19 years of age when suddenly you're no longer viewed as a child, but rather you're considered an adult. And I know you're probably thinking, what are you talking about, Becky? This is the greatest to no longer be perceived as a child when you're ready to have the functionability of an adult. Suddenly we're allowed to vote, consume alcohol legally, or perhaps you might even feel mature enough to move out and start your own beginning. But, I am not talking about any of these milestone beginnings. But rather what I am talking about is the milestones of changing from the pediatric world into the adult world. For those of you who haven't actually experienced this, it probably doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? And then I'm perhaps overreacting just a wee bit. Like it's just another part of growing up, Becky, come on. And like other teenagers in many ways, I was totally thrilled to be growing up. It was a really exciting time and life was full of tempting possibilities. But transitioning away from my pediatric doctors, whose care I had been under for as long as I possibly could remember, only left me with a feeling of unease. Dr. Romanchuck was the first to attempt to transition me from the pediatric care that I had always known into the adult ophthalmology world. If I'm being honest, this transition did feel a little less traumatic and dramatic for me because he had referred me to an adult ophthalmologist who specialized in glaucoma around the age of 9. This ophthalmologist, however, was also located in Saskatoon, about two hours away from where I lived. So, Dr. Bromanchuk also felt it would be beneficial to have somebody in the city that I actually lived in, who would be available to keep an eye on things in between appointments. A referral was then made to the amazing Dr. Ruel Garcia. Looking back, the eye transition was likely a little bit easier because Dr. Romanchuk had introduced me to new members of the team earlier, allowing me to get a little bit comfortable with those relationships before he fully stepped back. My rheumatology transition into the adult world was a little bit bumpier. And I am most definitely to blame and am responsible in a very big way for its initial failure, simply because I was a big suck. I was quick to learn that adult rheumatologists practice quite a bit differently than those who had devoted their entire career to the pediatric specialty. In pediatrics, there was always a big focus on getting to know the client. Questions were always encouraged and there was a big emphasis on positivity. After a couple of appointments with a variety of adult rheumatologists, I realized that these principles were most definitely not practiced always in the adult world. There, I was just a number, a name on a chart with absolutely no background, no history, no experience. I was just another random person sitting in an overfilled waiting room. Who was completely unattached with no emotions or bond i was totally starting from scratch despite my decades of time in the system when reflecting back on all of this i was totally wrong to think that i didn't have a security blanket like my brother i most definitely did it was totally dr rosenberg and dr romanchuk and simply because i had turned a specific number they were suddenly being taken away from me and I was most definitely not ready to give them up. Over a few years, I did see a couple of different adult rheumatologists who just weren't the right fit. Fortunately for me, during this entire process, Dr. Rosenberg continued to be so patient and understanding. The great news is, After the third attempt, I did find an amazing rheumatologist who checked all of my boxes. Dr. Milne is not Dr. Rosenberg, but she is so great in her own way. She's smart, she listens, she displays kindness and so much passion for what she does. I've been under her care now for over 15 years and we have such a great doctor-client relationship that is based in mutual respect. I could end the story there, but I would honestly be leaving out a few key highlights. If I'm being totally truthful, I did see Dr. Rosenberg into my early 20s and I am totally sure that that's considered a total breach within the pediatric care world. When I experienced my global rupture in 2013, I totally used my phone a friend card and I called Dr. Romanchuk right from my hospital bed. To my delight and surprise, he called me back within a half an hour of me leaving my message. Another notable highlight that I'm extremely proud to mention is, is that I've had the opportunity to co-present with Dr. Rosenberg a few times over the years. I had a chance to stand on the other side of the table beside one of my biggest heroes, and this was a feeling that I most definitely will not forget. I've also had the privilege of being invited by Dr. Rosenberg to be part of a major international research study that explores the relationship between juvenile idiopathic arthritis and uveitis. To say that this was a full circle moment when I received this invitation and that I could potentially contribute in a very small way to potentially eliminating this entire disease process, it brings my heart so much pride. So I guess the question remains, have I actually cut the cord to these amazing doctors who became so familiar to me over the years? After a lot of consideration, I came to the conclusion that it's impossible for me to fully cut a cord to somebody who permanently has a piece of my heart. In the province of Saskatchewan that I grew up in when I was a child, There was only one pediatric rheumatologist for the entire province. He was extremely busy and always in high demand. But as his young client, I would have never known, because when he entered my examining room, his focus was 100% on me, despite all of his competing work demands. He is still working today and busier than ever, yet... When I asked him if he would be willing to come on my little podcast to have a conversation, I received a quick email response back that said, yes, absolutely. So today, I have the honor and privilege of introducing yet another one of my personal heroes, my pediatric rheumatologist, the one and only Dr. Ellen Rosenberg. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Becky. Thank you for inviting me
0: so, my first question that I have for you is why did you decide to become a pediatric rheumatologist?
1: Well, when I was a medical student at the University of Saskatchewan many decades ago, I was introduced to a 12 year old patient during one of our small group teaching sessions. And I was startled when I shook her hand because her fingers were swollen and something really that I did not expect in a child. She had arthritis, uh, which was uncontrolled. And at that time, there were very few treatment options for her. It seemed to me then that that child deserved more from the profession I was about to enter than it was prepared to provide. And then when I was a resident training in pediatrics at Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children, I encountered children who were suffering from arthritis and other autoimmune diseases. And even though that hospital was among the world's most prestigious, none of us really understood the diseases those children had, and none of us really understood how to best care for them. And in that renowned hospital at that time, in this country then, there was no pediatric rheumatologist. And again, I, I felt those children deserved more from the specialty I was about to enter than it was prepared to provide. And then during the final stages of my pediatric training, I met Dr. Ross Petty, who was a pediatrician, who, like me, was a University of Saskatchewan graduate. And Dr. Petty had trained with a rheumatologist in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then returned to Canada to become this country's first formally trained pediatric rheumatologist. And with Dr. Petty as my mentor, I had the opportunity to pursue pediatric rheumatology training. So it was really the the many patients I encountered early in my career
0: and their unmet
1: needs that prompted me to pursue a career in pediatric rheumatology, which, as you mentioned, had very few pediatricians in the country and was a relatively new pediatric subspecialty at the time. My second question is,
0: How hard was it on you to have to at times give a young child and their family a really challenging diagnosis?
1: Well we expect children to be healthy apart from the usual temporary childhood illnesses so it's always unpleasant to have to inform parents and the child that they have a condition that is likely to linger and for children with arthritis and other rheumatic diseases it's particularly difficult to present the diagnosis because most parents have no idea that children get arthritis and likely have no knowledge about conditions such as uveitis. Very early in my career, when we had so few treatment options, it was particularly disheartening to inform patients of the diagnosis and the expected course of the disease. Now, however, because of astonishing progress in diagnosing and understanding and caring for children with rheumatic diseases, our conversations can be so much more positive and hopeful. So it, it's somewhat easier nowadays than it was earlier in my career. So
0: my third question is, what is something that you are most proud of, that you've had the opportunity to do or be part of within your amazing career?
1: Um, well, there come to mind, if I'm permitted, two things. The first is to be able to take pride and admire how spectacularly successful and accomplished uh, patients I have known have become. Des- despite their illness, they they thrive and excel in, ma- in many different ways in academics and athletics and the arts, and, and many, it seems to me, are-, are great comedians. And I've been so proud to to watch them grow, and profoundly grateful to those who, as adults like you, Becky, keep in touch with me. The second aspect of my career that I'm proud of is having successfully enticed so many absolutely brilliant, dedicated, and compassionate colleagues to provide their expertise to help care for our patients and to contribute to advancing knowledge about childhood rheumatic diseases through collaborative research. Working and learning from my colleagues has been profoundly rewarding. And I'm I'm proud to say that medical students and pediatric residents from our university have gone on to become my pediatric rheumatology colleagues.
0: So my last question is, I was a client of yours for many, many years. And I'm just curious, was there something that stood out about me as one of your clients?
1: Well, I do remember vividly the first time we met. You were four years old and very, very cute. <laughs> and I looked forward to every visit with with you and your parents. I, I knew that no matter how challenging things would become, you would, you would have the love and support of your parents, who I think were a real strength as you grew up and to an adulthood and even beyond. And every visit with you was uplifting for me and every time I saw you, I I recommitted to learning more about uveitis associated with childhood arthritis. I remember that first day that we walked from from my clinic to Dr. Romanchuk's clinic, the ophthalmologist, and I said to myself that we we really need to to understand this disease better. So you representing the many other children similarly affected was the inspiration and driving force for, for much of our research. It's been a slow process, and it's, it's challenging to do the research and to find the funding. But I do think we're on the the brink of some really transformative discoveries that will result in even more effective care and prevention. And as, as I watched you grow and mature, I had this, this increasing sense that little Becky Lee that we used to call you at that time, were with your remarkable sparkle and Humor and wit and warmth and intelligence would very likely continue to, to bring abundant joy to this world and, and make the lives of so many people so much better. And I'm, I'm happy to say I'm one of those people.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank my amazing pediatric rheumatologist, Dr. Alan Rosenberg, for coming and chatting with me today. And I'd like to send him a heartfelt thank you for all of his patience and kindness that he's extended to me over the years. I'd also like to thank my family for their continued love and support. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Czar. Technical production was provided by AMI-Audio's Nasreen Abdel-Majid. And the manager of AMI-Audio is Andy Frank. Remember, until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening.